This morning I would like to give um, the instructions uh, for mindfulness meditation, kind of the basic instructions for what we do, and uh, to do it over the course of the talk. And uh, my hope is for those of you who have done this for so long, you can give the instructions yourself, will find it interesting. Uh, I know that uh, I love hearing introductory instructions. and um, even though I've been teaching it for years. So, um, so we practice a uh, meditation practice called mindfulness meditation. And mindfulness meditation is a practice of paying attention. And it's a part of a Buddhist tradition of practice called vipassana. And vipassana maybe is best translated as insight. And um, so as we learn to pay attention, notice things carefully as they occur in the present moment, then um, that noticing when it gets to be very clear and deep and penetrating um, leads to insight. And insight, uh, then when it becomes clear and penetrating, leads to liberation, to freedom. So mindfulness practice is the basic practice that we practice here. And um, and in its simplest um, instruction, it's the practice of paying attention to what's happening in the present as it's happening. To elaborate a little bit more fully, it's to um, pay attention to what's happening in the present moment as it's happening and discovering how not to be in conflict with what is happening, how to be at ease with what's happening. Now, uh, mindfulness meditation is part of um, the overall kind of Buddhist teachings and practices for liberation. And in its Buddhist context, uh, meditation practice has three overarching purposes. The first purpose is to know your mind, to know yourself. The second is to train your mind. And the third is to free the mind. So to know the mind, to train the mind, and to free the mind. And there's no uh, particular order for that. Uh, um, It can be sequential. You know your mind well. You know yourself really well. As you know yourself well, you can train yourself. You can train the mind. As you train yourself, it becomes easier and easier to liberate, to free the mind. But all three kind of all mixed up together and work together and occur in different ways at different times as we do the the practice. And the first one is to know the mind. Um, Many people don't know themselves very well. Uh, It's very easy to spend a day, a lifetime, quite busy, caught up in thoughts, concerns, activities, and not really know deeply what makes us operate the way we do, what motivates us, what our reactions, responses are, what our feelings are, even what our thoughts are. I've met people uh, who um, have no clue that they're even thinking. They know they're thinking. I mean, they have some clue. But the idea of tracking their thoughts, being aware of what they're thinking while they're thinking, is a foreign idea to them. So an important part of mindfulness is to begin to notice and learn who we are. And one of the tremendous advantages of that is that as we study our mind, our reactions, then we can begin um, 
relating to ourselves, to the mind, or to the world also in more helpful ways, in more uh, healthy ways than maybe what we notice we're doing. So that's the second part, training the mind. So we begin to kind of take the mind not as a given, something we just have to live with and just that's the way it is, but the mind is something which is quite malleable, quite uh, plastic, and so it can be molded and shaped and changed in some way. And so a big part of Buddhist practice is then uh, taking responsibility for the shape, the, the, the form, the activities of our mind, so that we can begin um, having the mind operate in ways which are more helpful for us. It turns out for many people, one of the first trainings is not necessarily in meditation practice or mindfulness practice, but is a training in kindness or compassion, or training, le- learning how not to be in conflict with ourselves, uh, conflict with our minds or conflict with the world. And it doesn't take a lot of knowing oneself to know that the mind is often in, often in conflicted states. It's the mind often is not happy with what's happening in the present moment, so it wants something else and can spend a lot of time planning. It could be um, um, filled with desires. It can be filled with aversions, filled with confusion, a lot of planning, a lot of regrets. The mind can be caught, caught in a way that in some way it can be understood to be in con- you're in conflict with the world. There's a lack of acceptance of what is. And so one of the first trainings then, uh, first trainings as we know ourselves, is how to hold what we know uh, with spaciousness, with kindness, with a certain kind of acceptance or non-conflict. Someone once said, self-knowledge is seldom good news. And uh, so I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes, you know, self-knowledge is not good news as we begin seeing ourselves. So the first training then is as we get to know ourselves, how can we find a way to be, hold that lightly, hold it kindly, hold it without conflict, without adding you know, salt to the wound in a sense. So a really important part of Buddhist practice then is the attitude that we bring to ourselves, to our practice, to our life. And then beginning to adjust that. Part of the training is adjusting a little bit. Oh, can I be a little bit kinder here? Can I be a little bit more forgiving here? Can I be more spacious, more allowing, as opposed to um, judgmental or critical or demanding or ambitious or, you know, you know all, all kinds of ways. Which there's all kinds of ways you can engage in a meditation practice or spiritual practice which are counterproductive. You can strive too hard. You can uh, be trying to escape, you know, out of something, um, avoid something. You could uh, try to hold on to some ideal like it's a lifesaver and end up just drowning with the lifesaver. Uh, there's all kinds of ways we can kind of engage in a practice that's not so useful. So one of the first things is the attitude. Can you find an attitude as you know yourself? Whatever it is, whatever it is you notice, how can you hold that so that um, you're lighter about it or more at ease with what you're noticing? As we become more at ease with what, it, what is, and, uh, as we, then it's possible to train the mind in other ways. We can train the mind in... Um, there's many ways you can train the mind. You can train the mind in concentration, in greater capacity for mindfulness. You can train the mind in loving kindness, develop your capacity for love or compassion. You can train your mind uh, to be generous. You can train your mind to be more ethical. There's many ways you can train your mind. The mind is almost like a muscle. And so you can train that muscle like you would train at a gym, where you'd build up your muscles at the gym. And I know some people um, will spend a lot of time adjusting the external world to make it just right. Uh, their clothes they wear, the 
the body they kind of carry with them to get buff or whatever or exercise it. And, um, but uh, very few people actually take the kind of care for their own mind as they would for their own physical body. Just you, We clean our body regularly. Many of us shower every day. Um, and um, we, you know, we do various things to help support the body to be healthy. We try to eat well. All kinds of things people try to do for their body. And not a lot of people will spend much time being the caretakers or stewards of their mind and try to support that to become to be healthy also. So, um, so that training, training the mind, like it's a muscle or something, something can be developed and changed. And there are three primary inner qualities, we might call it spiritual qualities, that are most helpful for mindfulness meditation, that are being cultivated in mindfulness meditation. And um, one of them is awareness, cultivating our capacity to be aware, to be mindful. The second is cultivating our capacity to be concentrated, to be focused. If we're going to decide, I'm going to pay attention to something here, I'm going to stay there and not let the mind wander and um, to be, stay focused. And the third is to train the, train the mind or train ourselves to be tranquil or peaceful, to have the ability to be at ease with what is. Um, so as we develop those capacities for awareness, for concentration, and for tranquility, then our capacity to see the mind, understand the mind, gets stronger and stronger. It's kind of a feedback loop here. And so we understand the mind better. As we understand ourselves better, then our attitude gets, we get to look at our attitude again, because as new information gets revealed, and you're constantly kind of working and refining, knowing you know, what's going on, training, and then finally liberating. So as, we, as the mind gets more aware, more aware of the mind, more, the mind is more trained, more plastic, less rigid, um, and more at peace, then it's possible to begin freeing the mind of actually letting go of the places where the mind holds on, the mind's clinging. And anybody who gets to know their mind well will discover that the mind clings to things. We cling to our pleasure, to comfort, we cling to security, we cling to self-identity, our self-image, uh, we cling to our relationships, what's supposed to happen in them, we cling to our pain sometimes, people cling to their suffering, people cling to their ideals, uh, people cling to the sense of wanting to control, uh, people cling to their opinions. Um, there's many things that people cling to. And so part of the spiritual practice in Buddhism is to learn to let go of those clinging. It can take a lot of trust, a lot of insight, a lot of understanding, and a, a certain degree of inner strength. The strength of mindfulness, strength of awareness, strength of concentration, strength of peace or tranquility. And so then we free the mind. And we talk about freeing the mind, I actually prefer to use the word freeing the heart, um, because the mind seems so mental. And, um, but the heart seems much more to me, more f embodied, more full, more, at least for me, more um, appealing. Um, to free the heart from whatever keeps it bound or restricted or closed. And um, the end of the Buddhist path, in a sense, is to liberate the heart. So there's no barriers, no shackles, no constrictions on our heart at all. So mindfulness meditation is one of the key vehicles for developing these three areas, knowing ourselves, training the mind, 
and liberating the mind, liberating the heart. The training in mindfulness is a training to pay attention, to notice what's going on. And knowing, the knowing of mindfulness is um, deliberate and calm. Deliberate, calm knowing. Um, And one way of understanding kind of that deliberate or the conscious way in which knowing goes on in mindfulness is that when you know something, not only do you know that you're breathing in and out or you know that you're thinking about something, know you're feeling about something, or you know that you hear the traffic outside, not only do you know something, but you know that you know. That you know that you know. And that's really important because sometimes you can get absorbed in some activity. But if there isn't that kind of stepping back and knowing that you know, then your chances are you're not quite, you're kind of maybe a little bit too entangled or involved or lost in the experience. There's a way in which knowing that you know, you're a little bit independent of what you know, a little bit free uh, from what's happening. The image in Buddhism is that of a lotus growing in muddy water. The lotus has its roots in the mud but grows out of the mud, muddy water. And as the petals of the lotus uh, blossom and open, it's uh, untouched by that mud. It's clear and white or whatever color it is, but there's no mud on it. Nothing sticks on it. So in the same way, the knowing, the awareness is something that arises out of the muddiness of our life or of our minds. And there's a knowing which has a clarity to it. You know that you know. Maybe another uh, analogy for this, maybe it'll work, is... um, Maybe some of you have been in a situation with maybe a lot of other people, uh, maybe you know a kindergarten class, and the you know these kids are just you know wild. I mean, what, how, how could it be that and uh, you know fighting or struggling or something you know, and, um, and one possibility is to get into the fray and lose yourself, you know, and you know stop that, don't do that, you know, kind of, you know. and um, another possibility is certainly try to do the responsible thing or you know. Not necessarily then, but uh, you're in there, and um, and some other adult is there also, and you look up, and you know that you're not caught. You have this overview, this great equanimity. You see what's going on. You're not caught by it, and you look up and see the other adult is there. You see, she's not caught either, and she knows that she knows. She knows she's not caught, and there's this meeting of relaxed, peaceful, independent minds. Oh, you know. So maybe you've been in situ- other situations besides kindergarten classes, but. You know, something where you've been in a party or something or some kind of difficult situation where you're not caught in the way most people are and you notice someone else is not caught and you meet their eye and you kind of recognize that not-caughtness, that kind of, you know that you're both independent from all that. Some some kind of way of knowing that you're free, knowing you're independent or something is part of the mindfulness practice. So when we come to do mindfulness meditation, it's helpful to know that the mindfulness begins before you actually start meditating. And some people will wait until they sit, they get themselves down, they get organized, they sit, and then finally, okay, now I'm going to do it. And, um, but actually, what we're trying to do is to have a deliberate, being deliberately conscious, deliberately aware, deliberately attentive to what we're doing, even before we start meditating. So, deciding to go sit, now's my time to sit, and walking to the place where you're going to sit can, is a deliberate, mindful activity. And to recognize, oh, now I'm actually starting the practice of being deliberately attentive, deliberately conscious of what I'm doing while I'm doing it. When you sit down, um, now I'm being deliberately conscious of that activity of sitting down, deliberately conscious of, of myself here with some care. And so 
you sit down and we give some care, deliberate conscious attention to the posture that we sit in. It's part of being certainly generous to ourselves, kind to ourselves. It's part of the mindfulness training then to cultivate awareness of our posture. And since the first thing we do when we meditate is our posture, it's part of the meditation practices. How do we be mindful of our posture? Some of that is becoming familiar with your body, uh, noticing what your body is like, uh, the limitations of it, the possibilities of it, the holding patterns, the tensions of your body, and somehow taking it all in so that when you sit down to be in a meditation posture, it's respectful of your particular body. Some people sit in chairs, some people sit on the floor, some people sit in all kinds of different ways, but somehow become familiar with your body. Not to indulge it, not to kind of just sit in the couch because you're lazy, uh, but to actually uh, become mindful of the body so you can take the most balanced, most appropriate posture for meditation. And I would suggest that the most appropriate posture for meditation is one that encourages you to be alert, relaxed and alert. And those two together. Some people think of meditation as something that's supposed to help you relax. And many people will use meditation as stress reduction for its relaxation purposes. But in the Buddhist context, we say, you can get too relaxed. You get so relaxed, you fall asleep. And what we're trying to do is to have an appropriate balance between something which is more energizing, which is alertness or awareness, and something which is relaxing, which is relaxation, calm. So you want to take a posture that expresses both. And one of the ways of doing that, uh, if you can, is to have a back which is self-supporting and upright. So you're not leaning against anything. The back, the spine is balanced and, uh, and upright, uh, maybe so that um, the chest is a little bit, not puffed out, but a little bit open, um, so that because the spine is you know, so balanced. And, and, um, and in that alert spine, that allows a lot of the muscles that hold up the torso, the shoulders and everything to begin relaxing. And the more uh, balanced the spine is, the more it allows the relaxation in the rest of your body, rest of your torso. If, you, if your posture is not aligned, not upright, then it's actually harder to relax the body as fully as possible. So to sit down in such a way that you can sit upright with an alert spine is a very helpful. And then, um, sit down and uh, in our tradition we generally close our eyes which is usually kind of half closed I mean usually kind of um, um, yeah uh, eyes are closed some traditions have your eye, the eyes kind of half open um, maybe pointing down to 45 degrees to the floor it's okay to do that some teachers Vipassana teachers will teach that um, but generally in our tradition we encourage people to have their eyes closed so we can pay more careful attention to what's happening you know if you Sometimes if you want to hear a really distant sound, uh, you close your eyes to hear it because so you, kind of, you, can, so you can really be present for that sound, not have any other input. So if you really want to be present for different things, sometimes closing one sense door can be helpful. And the one we have the most control over is the eyes. Um, so we gently close the eyes. And the first task I would suggest is to just relax, get at ease. Prepare yourself to go kind of for the, you know, the whole period of meditation by taking a few long, slow, deep breaths and helping you, using those deep breaths to help you relax, especially in the exhale, to kind of relax the shoulders, relax the stomach, the face muscles, whatever you can relax. 
Big deep breaths. I like the in-breaths uh, really good because the in-breaths is a time to kind of feel like I'm getting massaged from the inside. I feel the stretching of the body, the torso, the rib cage as I breathe in deeply. And, and so I kind of like stretching, like a massage from the inside. And then as I exhale, let go of the tensions that might be there. It's a way of reminding myself also at the beginning of a sitting, here I am. I'm going to be here in this time, in this place. One of the, um, it's very difficult for the mind, untrained mind, to be in the present moment, uh, to be in the present place, position, and the present time. And so the mind often can use some help to be reminded. Hey, you. Um, this, is what we're, this is what we're going to do for the next 40 minutes. We're going to sit here and be here and now. You know, and sometimes you have, and probably you can have to nudge that mind, remind the mind regularly because it has a very short attention span. Uh, meditators have noticed that they have ADD. And so, um, and so you need to remind yourself, oh, here I am. So taking this deep, slow, long, relaxing, deep breath at the beginning is a reminder, here I am. Um, this is the place where I'm going to be. I can let go of other times and places the best I can. And then once the, uh, you've done that, maybe two or three or four or five deep breaths. Some people like to do more. Some people like to do ten deep breaths. Some are even counting one to ten as a way of helping that, and the counting helps focus them. Then to let the breath return to normal and have a normal breath. Some people like to uh, do kind of yogic breathing, breathe in kind of special way. Generally in mindfulness practice, we try not to have a yogic breathing technique, any kind of special way. Because what we're trying to do is just try to discover who we are, discover what's going on when we're not interfering with ourselves, trying to adjust and change what's going on. So we sit down, and I find it most helpful when I first sit down to meditate, just then after that initial kind of settling in, to spend a little bit of time becoming familiar with how I am right now. So it's a process of familiarizing myself with myself. And I like that word familiarizing because it... Um, at least for the time being, I don't associate it with the words meditation or mindfulness or concentration or awareness. It's kind of uh, Buddhism, um, it's Buddhism free word. <laughs> and so I don't have any of these associations with it. Just become familiar with what's going on here. And um, okay, so familiar with what's happening in my body. How is the body right now? Familiar with um, my feelings, the emotions that are present. Familiar with the mind, with the thoughts that are going on, the concerns that I have. Become familiar with what's actually going on. And that's part of that mindfulness training, becoming aware, knowing the mind, knowing what's going on. And then uh, seeing, can you adjust your attitude? Is there a better attitude you can have for what's happening now? Could you be a little bit more at ease with what's happening, a little bit kinder, more generous, more accepting of what's happening now? Um, what is the attitude you have? Are you striving? Are you angry, upset? Are you trying to push things away? Are you critical? Just noticing all these things. And can you lighten up a little bit? If you can't lighten up, then uh, we try to be light about that. You, you know, okay. It's hopeless. <laughs> it's, and I guess I have to just accept that it's hopeless. And that helps, as opposed to fighting, you know, that too. So to becoming familiar with what's here without trying to make anything happen. Just familiar. Maybe it takes you a minute to do that. Maybe it takes you five minutes. Just become familiar with what's here. Once you kind of recognize what's here, 
for you at this time in this place. Then one of the important trainings of the mind that we do is beginning to uh, help calm the mind further, develop some degree of concentration. And the primary place we do that is with the breath. So we cultivate both concentration and mindfulness on the breathing. And um, there's a variety of places where you could connect your attention to the process of breathing. Uh, one of them is feeling the breath, feeling the movements of the, of the belly as you breathe in and out. Feel what happens in your belly as you move in it, as it moves there. It can be helpful to feel it down here for a number of reasons. One reason is it's a, it kind of reminds you of its low center of gravity. It helps you be kind of grounded to feel the breath and kind of just below the belly button. Feel the movement happening. Another reason is that um, many people keep their bellies tense. And if you keep your attention down here, it's a little bit easier to keep that belly kind of relaxed as you meditate. Um, another place to feel the breath is in the in chest area. Some people like to feel it there. Another place is to feel it as the air goes in and out through the nostrils. It's kind of the, the temperature change. The coolness as you breathe in, the warmth as you breathe out. Some people like to feel the breath in other ways, the breathing in other ways, kind of the whole breath body, the feeling of the whole body breathing, kind of like a, like a bellows that goes in and out. You feel the whole, you know, breathing in and out, your whole body kind of expanding and contracting. Some people like that feeling of all body, feeling of breathing. But what we're training ourselves to pay attention to is not the breath per se. We often say, colloquially, pay attention to the breath. What we're paying attention to is the sensations in the body as the body breathes. What we're paying attention to the, how the body experiences breathing. How does your body experience breathing? Oh, it experiences it as expansion and contraction, as movement, as heat and coolness, various ways. And so we're trying then to, then we try to, whatever way you're feeling, experiencing the breath, any of those four or any other way, then trying to maintain some continuity and consistency, you try to stay there with many breaths over a period of time. So not just kind of touch in with the breath briefly and then mind wanders off, but stay there and try to hang in there so you have continuity with a series of breaths in a row. Now, this is a training in both mindfulness and concentration and relaxation. And one of the primary ways we can relax deeply is beginning to let go of our preoccupation with our thinking. Mostly, if you pay careful attention, most stress that we feel has to do with the ways in which we relate to our thoughts, to our ideas. And we, you know, suddenly you have some thought about your boss and suddenly you start feeling that those thinking about your boss creates a lot of tension and tightness. Maybe your stomach gets tight and you start feeling angry. Well, you're relating to that thought in a particular way. You've grabbed onto it. You're caught by it. If you don't get caught by your thinking, if you can just let it go, then the, the chain effect that gets put into place by having got onto those you know, boss thoughts doesn't have a chance to get set in motion. But once it gets set in motion, it can go quite far. And um, so, so coming back to the breath, whenever you notice your mind has wandered off, coming back to the breath is a training in learning to let go of preoccupations with thoughts. And don't under, underestimate the tremendous value of letting go of a thought, of a thinking process, thinking preoccupation. You might come, you know, a second later, half a second later, you're back at your thinking. But the, the fact that you could let go a little bit is so counter to how the mind usually operates. 
usually for most of your lifetime, your mind has had free reign. And, you know, wild animals have had a free reign, or wild kids who have, you know, been spoiled. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of get them, you know, disciplined or focused. So your mind has basically had a free reign to do whatever it wants, to think and follow whatever thought it has. And so it's a, it's, um, um, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big change to begin not letting the mind have a free reign and beginning taking your precious attention, this wonderful capacity for awareness, and directing it back to the breath, letting go and coming back to the breath. Um, you might feel that it's hopeless. You come back to the breath and you flip off right away. But if you just keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, you'll actually discipline the mind much faster than it took to become undisciplined to begin with. And actually the mind can be trained. It might take weeks, months, or even some years, but some of you have been doing this for decades. <laughs> you know, you're they're giving the mind free reign. So it actually goes relatively fast um, if you compare the two, you know, time frames. Does that make sense? <laughs> what I said? Okay. So, um, so don't under underestimate the power of just letting go and coming back. Um, and so uh, the more you can stay with the breath, the more we're undoing that uh, the magnetic force, the stickiness, the, the, the attachments that are there to our thinking mind, to the activities of thinking, grab, grabbing onto our thoughts and churning away more and more thoughts. As we stop being preoccupied with our thoughts, just that tends to relax. The body, the mind tends to relax. Because as I said, most of our stress is connected to the way in which we are attached to our thinking, the way in which we get involved or grab onto our thinking. So as we relax that thinking mind. Now, um, so coming back to the breath and coming back to the breath over and over again, hanging in there with the breath as a training that's relaxing. It also is a way of cultivating mindfulness. As we begin feeling the breath, experiencing the breath, the idea is to become familiar with the experience of breathing. What's this like? What's this simple experience of breath like? Where do we feel the movement? What's the shape and the form of that movement? Where do we feel the tightness, the tensions of, of the, the tautness of, of breathing? Where do we feel the, the warmth, the coolness? Where do we feel the pressure? Where, where do we feel when we breathe? Start noticing those things. Train the mind to start noticing the details of what's happening in the present moment. It's a, it's a way of training the mind. Um, some people will protest and say, well, the breath seems so mundane, so uh, you know, unspiritual. Even though the word respire, spiritual, has the word breath in it. They say it's so unspiritual to just follow the breath. Um, I like it that the word spiritual inspiration has the Latin word for breath in, as the root of both words. <laughs> like to respire, right? But, um, so when some people complain, the breath is so you know, unspiritual. Um, the breath is a very profound vehicle for training the mind. First of all, it doesn't have to be special. Uh, what we're doing is, we're, we're, you know, if you, those weights in the gym, there's nothing special about those weights, right? Uh, they're pretty simple kind of pieces of iron or something. Uh, but they're very effective for training the muscles. The breath is very effective for training the mind, strength, strengthening the mind, for concentration and mindfulness. It has the virtue of being repetitive and has the virtue of constantly shifting and changing. If you were going to try to focus your attention on one spot, one thing, and not let the mind waver, uh, move from that at all, 
It's actually a very hard task to do. It's actually easier to develop concentration on something which is moving, changing in a rhythmic way. Uh, so there's the wave-like quality of the breath coming and going, the breathing, the expansion and contraction. I think it's actually easier for the mind to stay focused with it, kind of following something that's kind of changing and moving. The breath is also very closely connected to our psychology, to our emotional life. And so we learn a lot about ourselves as we connect to the breath. You'll notice how the, the breathing changes in different circumstances. When you're upset, you breathe one way. When you're deeply relaxed, you breathe another way. So it's a way of learning about yourself, about how you breathe. And as you stay with your breath, it tends to relax the breath. It tends to lubricate our body, our mind, our feelings, because as we breathe mindfully, it tends to allow the breath to relax and become more of a natural breath, more of a um, at ease breath. And that has tremendous benefits for health, for psychological well-being, for all kinds of things, to begin relaxing and have an easy, natural breath that we kind of uh, uh, stay with. As we begin getting a little bit more concentrated, a little more relaxed at ease in the meditation, and the mind will sooner or later wander off again, once again, into its thoughts. Now, once you start getting a little bit more relaxed, what is helpful to do is not just let go of your thinking right away, but acknowledge that you were thinking. Oh, I was thinking. Just a little acknowledgement. Oh, so you know that's what's happening. And then you can let go and come back. But there's some kind of recognizing of what's happening while it's happening. And then in that recognizing, beginning to have some wisdom about the thinking mind. A story. A desperate meditator came to the great master and said, I just can't control my thinking mind. Everything I try, I'm engaged, I try everything I, you know, about it and I try to stop those thoughts, I try to push them away, I try to do this and that with them and all those things, nothing seems to help. And so the master says, oh, there's something very simple you can, you can do. Right? Oh, the key, the final simple solution to that crazy mind of mine. And the master says, don't think about the monkey. Wow, that's all I have to do is not think about the monkey? Great. So he sits down to meditate. <laughs> okay, I'm not supposed to think about the monkey. <laughs> I'm not supposed to think about the monkey. <laughs> I'm not supposed to think about the monkey. <laughs> that monkey. <laughs> that monkey that's always jumping around and that monkey that's always kind of, you know, yelling and monkeys and those monkeys are so noisy and there's just one monkey, like two monkeys and three monkeys and they're just so noisy, these monkeys and, and uh, you know, and what shape are these monkeys and what color are they supposed to be and those monkeys and, and boy, those monkeys are noisy. They seem to be, you know, jumping on the roof of my house and now they seem to be in my room and they're jumping up on my desk and it seems like a whole, you know, bunch of those monkeys all over. And finally, the meditator opens his eyes. There are monkeys all over my room. What's going on? <laughs> so that he goes back to the master. He says, what's going on? He gave me this instruction and it just became terrible. And kind of, you know, the monkeys had moved in. <laughs> and the master says something like, well, this is actually a lesson. The best thing to do about your thoughts is not to engage them. Just ignore them. 
if you start thinking about your thoughts and engaging in them, it's just they just multiply and get bigger and bigger. You just kind of bury, bury yourself in your kind of negotiations. One of the wisest things to do with thinking mind is not be concerned about it. You have to be concerned enough not to be caught by it. Come back to the breath. But don't try to engage it too much. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to judge it. Don't try to... Just kind of let it be. And, um, and uh, don't be bothered by your thinking mind. It's one of the wisest instructions I ever heard. Don't be bothered by your thinking mind. Um, the best you can. You'll be bothered, but you know, the instructions is don't be bothered. So try to be lighten up a little bit. And just come back. Just let it be as it is. Come back. Come back. Be with the breath. And that's a training for many people. That's a very useful training. To begin letting go of that preoccupation with the thinking mind. The practice of mindfulness is to notice what's happening as it's happening. It's easier to notice what's happening if you develop some calm, some focus, some relaxation as we do it. So, um, but we don't limit ourselves just to the breath. So as we begin um, getting a little bit stabilized, a little bit present, a little bit more calm because we're staying with the breath, then we become interested in whatever else is going on in our experience. And the way we get interested is we start noticing when something else becomes more compelling than our breath. When something in our experience becomes more compelling than the breath, that represents, in a sense, something important that's happening in our experience. So when, when something more compelling is happening than the breath, we let go of the breath, and then we bring our attention to pay attention, to become familiar, to recognize, to notice what it is that's going on. So if it's physical experience in your body, often it's discomfort for people who are new to meditation, or maybe it's some pleasure in your body, and it's more compelling than the breath. Just you feel a little tension with your ability to stay with the breath, with this kind of physical sensations. Then you um, bring your attention and carefully attend to those physical sensations, developing your mindfulness there, paying attention to them. It can be very helpful in certain situations to attend to the physical experience of your body. It's stress-reducing. It can help sometimes with pain. It can help in many different ways. It also develops a capacity to notice your body. The body is a repository of a tremendous amount of intelligence, a tremendous amount of information about our lives. And as we begin becoming more embodied and feeling our body, that information becomes more available. Um, sometimes the emotions become more compelling than the breath, our emotional life. Then the instructions let go of the breath and then become familiar with what emotions are going on and attend to those in a wise way. Sometimes our thinking mind is the monkeys are just like out of control and it's much more compelling than our ability to come back to the breath over and over again. And then we need to learn to bring wise attention to the thinking mind. And there's a whole way of doing that, noticing that. Sometimes it's the external world, which is um, really loud, noise. And so then we learn how to open the attention to noise and include that as part of the mindfulness meditation. For some people, that's a training then in learning how not to be um, um, caught by those sounds, not to be reactive to the sounds or the experiences around them. As we do this training, paying attention to what's here, paying attention to our feelings, our body, our thoughts, our experiences of the world. The first, one of the first things I said keeps reapplying. How, how can we hold this in a wise way? How can we be 
uh, have an attitude towards it where we're more accepting of it or less in conflict with it? How can we, you know, be wise in our presence for this experience? So we might have very ugly emotions. And the first task is, how can I hold this in a way that's wise? How can I be more not in conflict with it? How can I not be critical? Or how can I not interpret this as a personal failing? Just kind of hold it there in a very spacious, generous kind of way. So over and over again, the training is becoming familiar with what's here, familiar with the mind, training the mind. And the first part of training is the attitude in which we hold what we know. Then training the mindfulness and concentration. And then the last is freeing the mind. So when we start noticing that we're clinging to something, can we let go? Sometimes we can let go easily. Sometimes we'll, we'll fight tooth and nail so we to not let go. The mind doesn't want to let go. Sometimes uh, we let go after a lot of careful attention. We've learned, we've we studied phenomena really carefully. Sometimes we let go when our trust is really deep. Sometimes we let go when our insight is really deep. And there's var- varieties of ways in which we can let go. It leads to letting go. Letting go leads to the freeing of the mind. And the freeing of the mind is also a freeing of awareness. A freeing, so the awareness becomes like the lotus that's blossoming in muddy waters. So the awareness becomes something that's all-encompassing, radiant, transparent, translucent, So has no boundaries, has no limits, has no before and after. So the, the awareness, that the kind of awareness we each of us has now in this room, sitting here in this spacious room, listening to my voice, or listening to your own inner voices right now, whatever it might be, that there's something in the quality of your awareness when the awa- that the awareness can be set free. And it's one of the greatest things that, that, that uh, exists in this world, is awareness set free. It's also one of the greatest gifts we can give to others. Because when we set awareness free, then um, we can meet the world with an open heart, with an open mind, and with an open hand. And the world needs people who have all three. So, I hope that was helpful or useful to kind of give us overview of the practice we do. And, uh, of course, uh, there's a lot more ins- details to the instructions that are, uh, can be given. You know, many of you know that I do a five-week introductory course where I go through five weeks over uh, the details of this practice much more fully. Um, but in, the es- in, 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 in essence, you're supposed to become your own teacher in this practice. So you can take a five-week course, you can read books and all that. But in the end, you need to become your own teacher. And the vehicle for being your own teacher is your capacity to, to notice is your capacity to pay attention. So, and once we start using that capacity to pay attention, we enter into a whole big universe of things to explore and become aware of. No, nobody can tell you a formula or a fixed technique. This is what you do. Do A, B, C, D, and you'll become enlightened. Just do these things. Um, what you do is you begin becoming your own teacher by 
learning to use your own capacity for paying attention. And as you use your capacity to, uh, to pay attention, you become creative, you become intuitive, you become wise the best you can in knowing where to direct your attention, what needs attention in a given time. Okay? So, thank you very much. <laughs>